Alrighty, hello again everyone and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 23rd of February 2023. Happy, glorious, beautiful, delicious, almost the weekend Thursday to you. I'm Derek Hunter. I'm your host. We have an action-packed program for you. Stick around till the end. Thank you for spreading the word, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Check out the contest. Check out the extra bonus shows and whatnot, and I'm going through, I took so many damn pictures in Florida, those will be posted to, well, by the time you hear this, so check that out as well, um, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or Derek Hunter locals.com, thank you for your support in a very Bartles and James kind of way, and let us get on with the program. There is a lot going on in the world, a bunch of stuff to get into. I want to start off with the president of the United States. He's over in Poland. He's, he gave a big speech. We will undyingly forever and ever and ever spend money in Ukraine. Is there anybody who, maybe Lindsey Graham, because it's probably like, it's like Viagra for Lindsey Graham. War in Ukraine, war anywhere. It's like Viagra for Lindsey Graham. But... Uh, is there anybody else out there who's going, yeah, you know what? We should absolutely put no restrictions whatsoever and an unlimited amount of resources to a corrupt government in a corrupt country that, uh, you know, would it seems to be unwilling to even negotiate the concept of peace, the possibility of peace. We won't even talk about the prospect of peace. Why? Well, when you uh, monetize and incentivize perpetual war guess what happens you get perpetual war it's funny with the bs about oh joe biden walking around with an air raid siren rachel maddow did a a monologue about how awesome it was and how brave joe biden was walking through how great oh he's just wonderful look at him walking through the streets defying defying air raid sirens that's how big of a hero he is like wow is she gonna go straight for joe is she really that like turned on by this prospect because she knew by the time her show was on that there was no actual air raid and in fact there hasn't been an air raid in kiev in a very long time but it didn't matter she also knew that the united states government had told russia joe biden's going to be there so you better not try anything and russia said don't worry we're not going to try anything and she's still going, it's so courageous and so wonderful. And so look at the way that he walked around. Like, it's pathetic. You thought she was she was going to come in instead of coming out. She was going to come in. She's going to dump her wife right there on TV and go, you know what? Me and uh, Joe, the octogenarian. Because Rachel loves money, so it wouldn't surprise me. But anyway, he gave a big speech on the one-year anniversary of the war in uh, Ukraine pledging undying fealty to Ukraine. I swear to God, if somebody put a Bible in front of him and tried to swear him to get him to swear an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution or whatever the hell it is, the governing document of Ukraine, he would have done it. He would have done it. Even if it contained the line and foregoing all other loyalties to any other country. Of course, if it had involved him defecating on a map of the United States, specifically right there on Ohio, he would have happily done that as well. I mean, it's better than in his pants, right? Again. 
Anyway, his speech was long and pointless, and uh, there's a lot of clips you're going to hear. I just, it's not worth playing the clips. It's, he just lies to you, and it's it's lies he's repeated a thousand times. But there was one moment where he gets turned around in his head, which is to say he gets confused. And this is the problem. Joe Biden doesn't know what he's talking about anymore. I don't know that he ever did. It's what you get when you deal with somebody who is both suffering from dementia and has always been stupid their whole life. There's no doubt that you know, if Joe Biden were not president of the United States, if Joe Biden had not been a senator his whole life, if Joe Biden had just been some idiot out there in the wild, people would not maybe know that he is going senile because there wouldn't be this long video library of him saying things that were semi-coherent. Stupid, but semi-coherent. But because Joe has been dumb his whole life, you, you wouldn't notice it. I'm sure that you know, many, many people have uh, lost a step or two and nobody noticed because they were already a, a step or five behind, if you catch my drift. Well, this is Joe Biden. This is why he should not only read his speeches that are written for him by highly paid staffers beforehand, but he should do it with somebody, perhaps even the speechwriter, there with them to answer questions along the way because he doesn't understand basic terms, basic history, things that happened in his lifetime. He does not have anymore, and he's easily confused. Listen to him. He get Well, I'll explain how confused he gets, and he confuses himself because he's unfamiliar with the text. We build a coalition of nations from the Atlantic to the Pacific, NATO to the in the Atlantic, Japan and the Pacific. I mean, across the across the world. <laughs> um, see, when he says from the Atlantic to the Pacific, first of all, that's horribly written. Around the globe would cover it, but uh, from the Atlantic to the Pacific, his mind goes to the United States of America from the Atlantic. To the Pacific. He was around for Manifest Destiny. No, he really wasn't, but he might as well have been. So that's what he's thinking, clearly. And it confuses him because somewhere in his brain, that poor little hamster running on that rusty wheel that is just slowing down every single day, goes, wait a second, NATO isn't between the Atlantic and the Pacific. And if you just do it in the most bait, it's poor speech writing. I'll, I'll give him that. It's very poor speech writing to say from the Atlantic to the Pacific because that's the whole globe one way or another, right? It's just a really dumb way to put it. But when you're writing for a scene, I don't know who knows if that was actually on the teleprompter or not, but it's a dumb way to put it because it just depends on which way you're looking and which way you're going and you've got half the planet covered and you look the other way and you've got the other half of the planet covered and when you're dealing with somebody who's dumb and senile you go i don't know which way am i supposed to be looking the guy can't get off a stage without looking for somebody to be flagging him down like uh, like they're bringing in a plane to the gate you know what those those flashlights with the cones like this this way mr president no 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 that way mr president that way mr president so you can't expect much from a guy like that but he has no idea well from uh, with coalition of nations from from nato which isn't a nation 
to Japan, which is a nation. So what is it? What You're comparing apples to footballs, to foot massages, to everything. Like, what is he trying to say here? This is the problem with having a senile president who doesn't do his job. See, the thing is, Joe Biden can't be trained. Joe Biden can't be corrected. Why? Well, and I know people listen in Delaware because I hear from you. So no offense, I'm exempting you. But the majority of people, at least the majority of voters in Delaware, because you keep on electing morons, are dumb. It's, uh, I feel sorry for you to live amongst that many dumb people, but you elected Joe Biden so many times for so long that when somebody is constantly rewarded while being incredibly stupid, making gaffes, making a fool of themselves, they have no reason whatsoever to correct themselves, to try harder, to improve. Joe Biden never faced a serious challenge in his political career. The closest he came to a challenge was when he ran for president a bunch of times, but he wasn't risking his Senate seat. His Senate seat was going to be him. If he were not chosen because uh, Barack Obama had zero foreign policy experience and some idiot told them that Joe Biden has a lot of foreign policy experience, and so they picked him, uh, realistically, He's probably Barack Obama should have probably picked Hillary Clinton, but they went with Joe Biden because his weakness was he had no foreign policy experience, amongst other things, but that he had no foreign policy experience. And Joe Biden built himself, as he does on everything, an expert in foreign policy. But had he not been tapped by Barack Obama, I have no doubt whatsoever that the fine people of Delaware would still be represented in the United States Senate by Joe Biden. I mean, for God's sakes, Dianne Feinstein is technically alive. Technically alive. And she won re-election in California a couple years ago. She's now finally going, yeah, I probably shouldn't run for re-election because I'm, I'm old. I remember when the earth was cooling. But Joe Biden would be that same way. Joe Biden would run again. Joe Biden would win again. So when you have somebody who, no matter what they do, when they meet the Pope, they soil themselves. And people go, you know what? That's 45% of the people. I still I approve of what he's doing. Oh, inflation through the roof. I haven't had inflation since Jimmy Carter. Yeah, no, I support this guy. He's wondering. He's trying. He's trying. Points for effort. Yeah. Points for effort doesn't feed your kids breakfast. But hey, points for effort. But if they, uh, if you've never been challenged, never been, even gotten a close scare, why would you improve? Why would you need to improve? Somebody tries to give you advice, and everybody knows somebody like this in their life. Somebody tries to give you advice, say, hey, you might want to try this, or you might want to, look, I've been doing this since before you were born. Yeah, I've been operating this machine since before you were born. Don't tell me how to operate this machine. Yeah, well, you lost three fingers to this machine. So maybe if you try, well, you know, I haven't lost a finger in the last four years. So something tells me I know what I'm doing. Yeah, because you lost all your fingers. That's how Joe Biden is. That's how Joe Biden operates. So you sit there and you listen to him all confused going NATO to, to, uh, to Japan. 
to what I'm surprised you didn't drop a, a Southeast Southeast Asia treaty organization, a CETO. But uh, that was dissolved in 1977, lasted from 1940, 1954 to 1977. They realized it no longer served a purpose. So they got rid of it, unlike NATO, where they said, uh, hey, let's let's keep this going and let's expand it. Why? Because there's money to be made off of it. And even now in the modern Democratic Party, you might be able to say well, there's also racism involved but you know who knows who cares i just hope the president gets back to this country before starting world war three honestly is there nobody you think about it emmanuel macron i know you're not listening to this but uh, somebody get to emmanuel macron or some other european leader who has the common sense to stand up and go hey you know what since the United States is disallowing even the concept of peace negotiations between Russia and Ukraine, and just trying to make sure Ukraine doesn't join NATO and get Russia out of Ukraine, I'm going to step up to do it. I'm going to step up to do it. But they aren't about to do that. You imagine, you understand the amount of economic stimulation the war in Ukraine has created and the opportunities that the war in Ukraine has created for profiteering, for the money laundering. We're not just sending boatloads of money over there, although we are. We're filtering it through other countries, too, some of it. We're buying things from other countries to our ally countries. It's a big spread the wealth around. Oh, you know, you need uh, German sausages. We'll buy some German sausages, whatever. It's not German sausages, but you get the idea. There's literally, aside from an all-out war or nuclear war, which you'd think would be uh, a, a, an area of concern for politicians, if they're serious. Joe Biden said that we're closer than the, during the, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, or as close as during the Cuban Missile Crisis. We got pretty close during the Cuban Missile Crisis. If he believed that, if it's true, you'd be doing everything you could to defuse the situation. But you keep the situation heightened, and the profiteering goes on. You keep the people frightened and nobody's going to ask the questions that need to be asked in a situation like this. God, it's just so pathetic. There's an opening for some world leader to step up, but they're all making too much money off of it or getting their countries are getting too much money off of it to even bother to care, which makes me think that maybe, at least I hope, these cries of nuclear war, even limited, might be hmm, hyperbole? Might be. Hopefully. Anyway, because nobody seems to give a damn about it. You know, since we're talking about President uh, Biden, let's talk about President Trump. Had that grand jury going down in Georgia, right? Oh, the big grand jury. Oh, they're, they're looking because talking to Brad Raffensperger, or whatever the hell his name is, the Secretary of State there, he said, I need to find 11,000 votes or whatever it was. I can't even remember. It was so insignificant. The left deliberately, you can't say misinterpreted. They bastardized that call. Look, I'll, I'll, when Donald Trump needs to be called out, I'll call out Donald Trump. But the left, 
the fact that the left has to lie to try and get the guy kind of tells you everything that you need to know, in my opinion. Like, oh, he, he was trying to get Brad Raffensperger to manufacture 11,000 votes to win. It's to fight him, steal it, commit voter fraud. No, he was talking about voter fraud and what he believed happened during the election. He said, look, we just need to find 11,000 votes. 11,000 fraudulent votes or 11,000 votes that are uncounted, whatever it is. That's it, not manufacture votes. There's a difference. You have to be um, genuinely stupid, genuinely like being obtuse. Obtuse is almost like accidentally or incidentally unaware and gleefully so. You, if This is beyond that. You have to go, I, I want, you have to be the X-Files. I want to believe. I'm ready to believe you. Please, we're Ghostbusters. We're ready to believe you that Donald Trump is the worst person on the face of the earth. And that's, you know, the business model of MSNBC or CNN. So there you go. But it doesn't ring true. They've had a grand jury going for about, Six months, a year? It, was, it seems like a year. It seems like forever. They've wrapped up their business. There was a report, and grand jury proceedings are supposed to remain, are, well, they do remain secret, at least publicly. But the uh, dummy, God, I swear to God, this woman sounds like a child. She really does sound like a child. She was the grand jury for uh, four person, four woman, four girl. If you just hear her talk and look at her talk and you'd expect her to be a valley girl. And she's out there giving interviews to NBC News, naturally. Her name is Emily Coors. Now, she's got the left upset, too. And MSNBC and NBC News have the left upset. Lester Holt was like, hey, man, we got this grand jury of four persons. Let's do this. Let's do well. By leaking and releasing and talking publicly, even in a limited capacity, about the proceedings of your grand jury, you jeopardize the case in, in many, many, many ways. If you want to talk, lawyers are saying you wait until after there are any indictments. But now the Trump team has a really good ability to come in and say, hey, wait a second. This is clearly this idiot has a different agenda. The grand jury process was corrupted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter. But I want you to hear the quality of people that the left elevates in their pursuit of Donald Trump. Donald Trump is their white whale. He really, truly is. They will do anything to harpoon him. They are the Ahab to Donald Trump's Moby Dick. And um, there's a couple, there's just one clip I want to play. It gives you everything you need to know about this Emily Coors person. It's K-O-H-R-S if you want to search it. You can find the rest of the interviews that she's done on your own. She's also been on CNN too. She's doing a media tour. She's a giggly seemingly 20-something, at least mentally, teen-something. But she wanted Donald Trump to testify. She wanted Donald Trump to subpoena it, not because she had any interest in getting to the bottom of the situation, to getting to the truth. 
It's because she wanted to swear him in because she thought it would be neat. Personally, want to hear from the former president. I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in. I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment. I just kind of thought that would be awesome. Yeah, you know what? So tell me you don't take your duty as a grand jurist seriously without telling me you don't take your duty as a grand jurist seriously. I just thought it would be cool. Was there any information that you thought you could glean from? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't pay that much attention. It's all complicated legal stuff. We pretty much did whatever the uh, the prosecutor insisted. But hey, man, it was cool. It was neato, and the pursuit of justice is totally neato. She won't say whether they're indictments or whatever. She hints around about it. She pretends about it. But ultimately, she, I think, is damaging in her pursuit. Of, and this is the problem with society today. It's something I wrote about in my book that we've, it's not even blurred the line. We've obliterated. The line no longer exists between famous and infamous. It's just get attention. Get attention. Doesn't matter how you get attention. Get attention. Oh, yeah, Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian, you had a sex tape come out. Yeah, five years earlier, you'd have been wildly embarrassed. But now it's like, hey, you could parlay that into tens of millions. Hell, billions of dollars. All right, sounds fair. Let's do it. And then other people saw that and said, hey, all you've got to do is get attention. Well, this grand jury four chick saw that and now she's getting attention she's probably i don't know i'd say she'd try to get a book deal but listening to her talk it would have to be a coloring book deal because she can't she's dumb i mean it could be ghost written and whatever but i i think her 15 minutes is going to be closer to like five five and a half but this is the world that we've created and this is the media world that we've created. When you hear them talk about, oh, the norms, the norms, Donald Trump is obliterating what's normal and what's not. Uh, interviewing grand juries before the results of a grand jury are enough, that's violating a pretty big norm. But hey, what are you going to do when you've got Donald Trump derangement syndrome? You just plow forward. So pathetic. Speaking of pathetic, I did, I watched the beginning of tucker carlson tonight last night i don't often watch it i sometimes watch his opening monologue but then i i just start doing other things or play minecraft with the girls or whatever start doing show prep look up things on the internet whatever is going on his first guest after a monologue where i thought i thought tucker crossed the line when he said that um he called Nikki Haley a suburban white woman, a liberal suburban white woman or something like that. He called her a white woman. It's like, yeah, you know, nobody dislikes and despises identity politics more than I do, but she's, she's not a white lady, okay? You don't have to celebrate diversity, but you don't have to, like, look at somebody and go, no, 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 I deem you to be white. And he called her a liberal too. She's lots of things and certainly not as conservative as other people or, or me. 
But she's not some left-wing, white, suburban, Chardonnay-drinking housewife. She's done some things. Whether you like them or not is up to you, but I found that to be a bit much. And then I thought it was odd that he would immediately have on Vivek Ramaswamy after that. And I thought, oh, maybe Vivek will sit there and say, hey, you shouldn't say that an Indian woman is a white woman. You know, you shouldn't be doing that. But he didn't. He announced that he's running for president of the United States. Now, you're more than likely sitting there going, Vivek Ramaswamy. I don't talk about Vivek Ramaswamy very often. I don't know that. He's a tech multi, he's hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever. He made it in tech. He then wrote a couple of books. He bought a hell of a PR team he signed up with. They then he became a whole seemingly adopted by Fox. He's all over Fox. Anytime they this is one of the things that drives me nuts about media. Anytime there's a story that involves even tangentially a minority, conservative media needs to stop playing this game. Just talk to the best people who know about the situation, not about the color of the skin. And they go, Oh, we need uh we need somebody who's not white on to talk. All right, here we go. Let's go with this guy. It's sad. It's pathetic. Can't decry left-wing identity politics while playing left-wing identity politics. That's why I have no qualms and no fears about talking about race. Like, well, we're humans, all right? I don't care. You don't have to like it. But I just don't care. It needs, some things need to be said. It doesn't matter. Well, you can't say that as a white guy. Yes, I can the Constitution doesn't say about freedom of speech that it applies to people depending on the topic and the color of the people's skin. But Vivek Ramaswamy became a, an adopted son of Fox. And he's a, a fine speaker. I went to an event where he was the keynote speaker. I didn't pay that much attention to it because I've never really... I've always gotten weird vibes from the guy. But he... Uh, he was a speaker, and the parts that I heard, he, he can deliver a line. I don't know that anybody really wants him to be president of the United States or has a, a massive fan base or whatever, but he's got $300 million or hundreds of millions of dollars and nothing better to do. My problem with him is that he started a hedge fund. That's the problem I have with a lot of these people, these people that I view as grifters. He started a hedge fund. And the hedge fund, the purpose of the hedge fund was, hey, we're going to take on woke corporate America. We are going to amass a fortune in this hedge fund, and then we are going to leverage that fortune into one or two companies, and we're going to take them on to make Apple or make whoever it was, really sort of pull back from this woke corporate ESG kind of stuff. And I thought, okay, well, that'll be interesting to see if that ever happens and then occasionally he would tweet about we're looking into we're almost there we're trying to decide now which companies to target and like your your hedge fund had collected something like 300 million dollars and you're trying now to figure out what to do with it where shouldn't you have had that plan to begin with and oh by the way are you taking a commission the standard commission for administering this 300 million plus hedge fund? And of course, I'm pretty sure the answer is, yeah, of course, why wouldn't he? Which means he's making a lot of money off of this. Now, I don't know, maybe he announced it and I just missed it, but I still don't know what what company he was going to take on and really change from within with the power of conservatism and the power of 
blah, 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 blah. All I know is that the power of the commissions. And uh, nothing now. Now that's wiped clean from his bio. And I wonder if there is going to be anything. Because you start a hedge fund, you con a bunch of conservatives, in my opinion. You sit there and you say, hey, we're going to, we're going to really take on corporate America. And a whole bunch of people go, yeah, I'm down with that. I'm sick of this stuff. Here's my money. Oh, we're getting real close. Real close. We're going to take it. And then you go, no, I'm running for president. You go, well, wait a second. I thought that you were, this was your crusade. This was your battle of, oh, it's different now. Now I want to run for president. Does anybody really think that a guy who has no real political experience except for showing up on Fox every once in a while and a name recognition that goes, I don't know, from here maybe to the corner, stands a chance. The only thing he's got going for him is that he's adopted by Fox. We'll see how much they embrace him. But they've already called him the uh, a major candidate, which is pretty pathetic, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, but it, but it is, uh, let's see. The tweet yesterday from the media reporter at Fox News, one of the media reporters online. Breaking, Vivek Ramaswamy launches GOP presidential campaign, becoming the third major candidate in the 2024 race. Major? Candidate? Major? Anybody believe that he's the major candidate? Now, the headline is, again, evidence of how they've adopted him conservative entrepreneur and anti-woke crusader Vivek Ramaswamy launches GOP presidential campaign. Three years ago, you ever heard of this guy? Three years ago, you ever heard of this guy? Now he is because he comes in and he spews some talking points and fits certain ideals that Republicans really honestly wish They could embrace because they're playing left-wing politics. You go, oh, this guy is elevated now. This guy is, is this guy worth it? I don't know. Maybe he is, but I'm not somebody who's going to hitch my wagon to anybody simply because some cable network says that he's worthy of being hitched to. And I'm not somebody who's going to hitch my wagon to anybody because their involvement in conservatism has been expressly and exclusively, to be honest with you, about making themselves money. Oh, he gave speeches. Was he paid for those speeches? Eh, some of them, probably a lot of them. And his hedge fund. He's made a lot of money in that. He sold a lot of books. All of these things are fine. But when you do it uh, under the guise of... I, I always have a problem with it when you do it under the guise of I'm doing this, I'm in this fight as a matter of principle. I don't know. I'm a purist when it comes to those sorts of things where I sit there and you hear all these people going, no, 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 I'm I'm definitely in this fight for the right reasons. Sign up for my newsletter and well, you monetize your newsletter. Go to buy my books, go to my website, go to this, go to that, listen to this, share this, download the podcast. All of these things are and you're just doing a commercial for yourself. You're making money off of it. How about instead of... I don't know. How about you do something? I don't know. Do something magnanimously. All right? Do something for the cause 
that isn't the cause of your bank account. Then I'll start to believe you. There are lots of people in the conservative movement. You can have problems with anybody in the conservative movement. You can have problems with me. But you can uh, watch these people, and they aren't getting rich off of it. There are plenty of policy analysts out there who are never going to get rich off of their expertise. But you want them on your side. They might not even be the best on television. They might not be the best in radio interviews or whatever. You may have never heard of them before. But they do the legwork that the loudmouths come in and get the credit for. They do the research. They do the data crunching. Those people aren't getting rich. It's the showman. And I view Ramaswamy as a showman. I'm open to the prospect that I could be wrong and I'm wildly misinterpreting who this guy is and what he's trying to do. But I am not a bandwagon jumper naturally. And every time I see this guy, I just see somebody who's a mile wide and an inch deep who is selling something that puts money in his pocket. I want somebody. But this is my problem when Donald Trump sold his... uh, NFTs, his digital trading cards. Like, come on, man. Are you in this for the country's sake? Are you in this to make pocket some money? All right. It can be both, I suppose. But should it be? I don't I don't think so. It's like I have a problem with people getting rich off of religion. Maybe it's just me. What the hell do I know? I want to shift now from having been critical of Tucker to defending Tucker. It's like, look, you, 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 nobody is above criticism. Nobody is perfect ever under any circumstances. And you've got to understand that. It's wildly important that people understand that because politicians aren't your friends. Media personalities aren't your friends. They are in business for themselves or for their company or whatever. They can also be your friends too, but that's their, for their job, their number one Priority is ratings, getting elected, whatever it is. Just how it is. Um, Tucker Carlson was given by the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, 44,000 hours of surveillance video from inside the United States Capitol during the January 6th riot. Or as the left tells it, the worst day, the darkest day in American history. Just horrible, awful my God, it was the end of Western civilization and the worst day for democracy since the Civil War. You know, they kind of downplayed just a little bit, put it mildly. The uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy, 9-11, Pearl Harbor, etc., etc. But hey, you know, when you've got a political agenda to advance, the truth has a funny way of just simply getting in the way of it. So you've got to ignore it. But anyway, 44,000 hours of surveillance footage. What could be on this 44,000 hours of surveillance footage? Well, the left, the January 6th committee, the left-wing January 6th committee, never once released this stuff. They didn't. They barely showed any of it. 44,000 hours, what did you see? Maybe 10 minutes of it? If that, if you just string together every little bit that you saw, you saw maybe 10 minutes of it. Well, there's a lot more to it. What wouldn't they want you to see? 
Might it be police officers open the doors for protesters? Might it be police officers directing many of the pro tra traffic of the foot traffic in there, in there, taking pictures on behalf of people like, hey, would you mind taking our pictures? Sure, that could be there. You might also see FBI informants, employees, undercover police officers. I don't know if this is true or not, but in Washington, D.C., you never know. You might see these sorts of things. These are all things that have been speculated. You might see them saying, I don't know, let's go this way, smash that window, kick that cop, throw that bike rack, do whatever. You might see that. The prospect of seeing that or that being seen has caused Democrats to live in fear of this video coming out. Like I say, the January 6th committee did not release that, that video. They did not want the American public to see that video for some reason. And you've got to assume that the Democrats on the January 6th committee didn't say, you know what, we should not use this audio or this video because it makes our case too well. This really does really stick a thumb in the eye of what uh, blah, blah, blah. And we can't really, it would really condemn and pervert the jury pool for these trials of the January 6th defendants. Now, you know, that's not the case. Does anybody believe Jamie Raskin is a an honest broker, let alone a, a decent human being? And he would say that Adam Schiff is sitting there going, well, this is really exculpatory evidence that... Uh, will damage the cases that we're trying to make against Donald Trump and everybody there that day. But, you know, it's what happened. So we're going to have to release that information. Does anybody believe that? Hell no would be the only answer possible. Like, absolutely hell no. Maybe a little bit more expletive laden, but that's it. So this footage was not even really sought by the left-wing media. It's kind of funny. There have been calls in conservative media. Just, uh, let's release. Let's release the surveillance footage so we can really see what happened in there. But liberal media has not joined in. It's one of the rare times, and it's curiously, it only ever happens when it could potentially damage the left wing narrative. But it is one of the rare times where the people who pride themselves on having a press credential insist that we have, we need to, what is the way I'm putting it? need to keep information from the American public. The people whose very profession is that we shall provide information to the American people are actively pursuing the keeping of information from the American people, right? It seems a little weird, but that is the case. That's where we find ourselves. And that brings us to MSNBC. Now, I don't know how to pronounce this guy. Frank Figliuzzi, I think is how you pronounce his name. Frank Figliuzzi. He is or was the... Uh, He's an FBI special agent. He's a muckety-muck up there in the FBI. Let's just put it that way. 
He was. Now he's an MSNBC contributor. He's the guy, if the name sounds vaguely familiar, because you don't hear Figgly Uzi all that often. If his name sounds vaguely familiar, it's because he was the one who... I forget who it was who passed. There was a a shooting somewhere, I think. And Donald Trump ordered the flags flown at half-staff until uh, August 8th. Right? 8-8. He's the guy who did the 8-8 thing. 8-8. May not have meant to do this, but eight eight is the, uh, the the code for neo Nazis for Hitler because H is the the la- the eighth letter in the alphabet. And like eight eight is H H, which stands for Heil Hitler. Like you really got you're giving people with low IQs far too much credit for being able to come up with some sort of code, even a basic code like that. But whatever, that was what he did. And he said Donald Trump was raising the flag back to full step. Uh, on that day, he might not have meant to do it, but it's sending a wink and a nod to the white supremacists. So this is that guy. This is the level of intelligence we're dealing with here. He was on television. Maybe it was CNN. I can't remember which one he was on. You'll hear it. And he said he's very concerned. No, it's MSNBC. Now I remember. He's an MSNBC contributor. He's very concerned that this information in the hands of Tucker Carlson will be uh, dangerous. Dangerous. It poses a threat to security. Not very often you hear anybody in the media lament the prospect of the American people learning more. But here you go. There is a security issue here. Um, uh, the, the, the idea that this is not public footage, this is stuff that is has not been released publicly, it's now been given over to, uh, to Tucker Carlson, Irrespective of what you think about Tucker Carlson's coverage, what's the security risk here, Frank? Yeah, so what we're hearing, and in fact, NBC reported earlier today through Ali Vitale, is that there are legit security issues that could be exposed here. For example, what Ali Vitale cited was a concern that the the reason we've only seen Nancy Pelosi first uh, removed from the floor and then next see her in a room secured and safe is because we that we were not supposed to see the, the movement from the floor to the room because it would expose the safe room and the, the route that Capitol Police have established to take someone safely away and put them in, in, in a safe place. Those are the kinds of security concerns that could be exposed here if it's handled irresponsibly. And Fox News Tucker Carlson have a track record of not handling such things in an honest, good faith effort. Oh, yeah. Now, we want you to have information, but it's got to be handled responsibly. See, what they really are saying is information to the great unwashed has to be filtered through us, through the left. That's the only way. Tucker Carlson is wildly irresponsible. We cannot possibly... Could not even imagine, no way on God's green earth should we ever even entertain the prospect that this guy could be an honest broker. No way, no how. Can't do it, can't have it, will not accept it. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We must protect blah, 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 etc., etc. And you're sitting there going, that's not really what, I've never heard a journalist go, you know what? I know you're about to imagine an interview subject where somebody's just about to open. OJ's about to confess. You know what? Yeah, I did really cut those people's heads off. And right before you get to that point, the interviewer goes, wait a second, Juice. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. All right. You you don't need to tell us everything. Okay. You've, you've told us enough. 
I feel like you're going to a pretty dark place that maybe you're going to regret later. So in the interest of fairness, I'm going to put a stop to this right now and we'll, we'll take a break and you can consult with your lawyers and see what you want to say after this, right? That would never happen. But it happens now because journalism is a team sport now. Half, more than half of the journalistic establishment is on one particular team. Period. End of story. That's it. That's the world we live in. Sucks. It's garbage. It is not journalism in any way, shape, or form, but that's where we are, where you've got people in the media going, we don't really need this kind of information. And the American public shouldn't have this kind of information. We should keep this sort of stuff to ourselves, etc., etc. No way, no how would anybody have thought for a second that that would be the way journalism went. But that is the way journalism went. There's a little outrage at the uh, New York Times because the uh, New York Times, a whole bunch of journalists at the New York Times were very mad that they ran an op-ed in support of J.K. Rowling because J.K. Rowling is the world's biggest transphobe and she's probably responsible for more deaths than Hitler or not. But J.K. Rowling is one of those weirdos who believes that a man is a man is a woman is a woman. And so there has been discussed inside the New York Times that they would run such a piece, an opinion piece. Again, remember the last opinion editor got fired for running an opinion that ran contrary to the liberal orthodoxy. So these journalists are protesting, we're protesting, we're expressing their outrage. And so in return, in response, a couple of dozen journalists at the New York Times, wrote a letter saying this is garbage. This should not be. It's a pretty list, long list. Some of the names you heard of, most of them you haven't. One notable name missing is Maggie Haberman. But these journalists read wrote a letter saying that this is not what we should be doing. In fact, the letter reads in part, quote, every day partisan actors seek to influence, attack, or discredit our work. We accept that. But we do not. Ex- what we do not accept is that the guild, they're writing it to their union, appears to be endorsing a workplace in which any opinion or disagreement about Times coverage can be recast as a matter of workplace conditions. We are journalists, not activists. That line should be clear. That line should have been clear all along, but it's been long since obliterated. It's interesting to see what happens. It'll be interesting to see what happens to these journalists who sign this, because if you remember last time when the paper tried to stand up to their newsroom, the woke newsroom, and say, you know what, we're we're just running an opinion from a United States senator, which was what got the left all upset, the left... Leftists at the Times took to social media and said, running this Tom Cotton op-ed puts the lives of Times journalists in danger, particularly journalists of color. They never really explained how or why, but they just declared it because that's what the left does. They weaponize race every chance they get. It'll be interesting to see what comes of this, but it's worth noting that there appear to be at least some people in there going, you know what, we should be able to have dissenting voices on our freaking editorial pages. Anyway, back to Frank Figliuzzi. He had more to say about Tucker and how dangerous Tucker having information could possibly be. 
The other concern, of course, obviously, is the security concerns that arise from false conspiracy theories. We know they are dangerous. We know they lead to violence. And so if, for example, this host on, on Fox decides to play only things that indicate uh, or allow him to blow up conspiracy theories, oh, look, that looks like a Fed. Oh, look, it looks like someone instigated this. Oh, look, there's an hour of people doing nothing peacefully. Um, if that keeps going forward and it's ginned up into the notion that all the prosecutions are witch hunts against people uh, for, who were violent January 6th, that it could really pose a danger and a threat. Yeah. It could really pose a danger and a threat. You know, if if Tucker Carlson, and I know Tucker well enough to know that Tucker Carlson would never do this, but he's basically saying if Tucker Carlson treats the 44,000 hours of surveillance footage inside the Capitol from January 6th the way that, say, the liberal media treats any interaction between a black person and a white police officer you know then it could be trouble because what are they everything is racist everything is horrible cops open season hands up don't shoot was totally real even though it wasn't all the lies that these people have told over the years and all by the way the just ignoring the ignoring of of anybody or any story that doesn't matter, doesn't fit their narrative. The the killing of the white guy down in Dallas two years before, George Floyd, by a police officer kneeling on his back, as neck, as he says, I can't breathe. Tony something or other, I can't, Tony Timpa. That story never made national news. It didn't even matter. There's a wrong configuration of people involved in that story. So spare me this crap. What if, what if Fox News... What if Tucker Carlson treats this story the way we've treated every other story? Well, there'd be some serious damage to this country. Well, hey, maybe you should use this moment as a moment of reflection to looking into a mirror and saying, um, maybe we've been wildly destructive to the fabric of this country. But of course, you'd actually have to have a conscience to do that you'd have to have a concern for this country rather than just a political agenda to do such a thing so that won't happen meanwhile frank figliuzzi will continue to weaponize the former job he held and the job title with it because it sounds super official and he will go and preach to an ignorant choir with the express purpose and sole purpose really of keeping that choir as ignorant as possible for as long as possible. So much so that when Tucker does release this, some of this video next week, they will have so soured the prospect of the existence of this video that many of the audience, most of the audience, dare I say, will not be looking at it, will look away, in fact, and the network will barely report on it because journalism or something is pathetic. Not surprising, but pathetic. Oh, since I'm talking about the uh, New York Times, just there's something that's been circulating on social media that some conservatives are getting excited by. And it was spread by, uh, not spread, it makes it sound like it's bad, but Christine Peshaw, who is the communications director, I think, of Ron DeSantis, is like, oh, they're finally admitting that uh, masks are bad. And it's a screen capture from the New York Times. The headline, the mask mandates did nothing. Will any lessons be learned? And they're like, ooh, the New York Times is 
reporting on that, that big study that showed that masks were absolutely worthless. They did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. And so I, I tried to look it up. Beware of anybody who just sends out a screen capture. Sometimes it's, you just do it because it's easier. You're making a comment or whatever. But if it seems a little weird, if it seems out of place, just do a quick search. Just type the headline in. So I, that's what I did. I typed in the mask mandates did nothing. Will any lessons be learned? And it turns out that that is an opinion column. And now this one hasn't, the trans issues gotten the leftists all upset at the New York Times and they can't multitask. So they have yet to express outrage over this, but this would, in the absence of outrage over the other trans issue, this would have gotten all the outrage. Uh, It's an opinion column by columnist Brett Stevens about masks. He references the study that showed that massive study that showed that the uh, masks did nothing and mask mandates were in fact damaging the science team at the new york times and the science reporters and editors and what have you they uh they have not even reported on that study so at least it's in the pages of the New York Times. It's on the opinion pages. But at least the study made it to the opinion pages of the New York Times. That's something, I suppose. But do not confuse the opinion pages of the New York Times with the the news side, shall we say. The news side messes with... The opinion side. The opinion side has no influence whatsoever over the news side. It's kind of kind of a weird situation, but that's where you find ourselves. Um, by the way, just I saw this from uh, Tom Bevan over the guy who co-founded Real Clear Politics, the guy who runs Real Clear Politics. Really nice guy. I like him. But he uh, tweeted out a link to the Grio. The Grio is a racist blog, but it's you know it's from the black news perspective, because news has skin color, if you didn't know. And uh, you, can, you can find all sorts of just horrible garbage. It's where I assume Joy Reid does most of her research. If Well, Joy Reid's staff. I can't imagine Joy does any research. But they have a piece up there, a guy named David Love, who's just, he's dumb. I've talked about him before. I've read his stuff on the air before. He's just not a very bright guy, and he's certainly not an honest person. His headline, Florida Governor DeSantis knows exactly what he's doing with his war on books. Oh, yeah. His subheadline, empty the libraries and you hide evidence of historical crimes. DeSantis and his minions want to erase black people from the historical record and deprive people of that knowledge so that crimes can continue. Imagine being this dumb. I mean, he's probably not this dumb personally. He has monetized his audience being this dumb. And if your business model is to profit off of people being ignorant, you go to great lengths to keep people ignorant. So here's his opening sentence. As we celebrate Black History Month like no other, we celebrate it like no other. As we celebrate Black History Month like no other, people are now faced with the reality that in places like Florida, books that discuss black history or even mention black people are now illegal. This is a blatant, bald-faced lie. 
But when you have the entire education system on your side and the entire democratic establishment, not to mention popular culture, and you're told only get your information from somebody who looks like you, this sort of garbage can fly. It's damn banning black. It has nothing to do. Black has AP black history is still going strong in the state of Florida. It's African-American studies, the gender grievance industry that, you know, queer black studies. And, oh, we've got to learn about how critical race theory is the only way to live. That sort of stuff is not in there. That is not part of black history. That's actually part of the destruction of the black community that Democrats are so well known for and have really done a damn fine job of. If you, re- if you really wanted to damage a group of people, I don't know how you do it. Any Maybe the Nazis did it worse, but Democrats are pretty damn close to it. But this is what goes on in the world. This is what liberal thought is. Doing his best impersonation of a white segregationist from the 1950s South, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has declared a war on books that may cause white tears. Topics such as race, gender, sexuality, LGBTQ plus people, class, oppression, and social justice. Wait a second. White... A lot of, aside from, wait, gender? White people are of different genders. White people have different sexualities. Why is sexuality separate from LGBTQ plus people? Because Democrats love segregation. Class, there are more poor white people in this country than any other group. But don't tell that to the griot audience. They care about the next one, oppression and social justice. <laughs> Under Florida's Stop Woke Act, teachers cannot discuss these topics in class under the threat of felony charges, forcing them to remove books on these subjects. What the hell is this guy? Love. David A. Love is a journalist and commentator who writes investigative stories and op-eds on a variety of issues. No, he's not. He's a one-trick pony who writes about race all the time including politics, social justice, human rights, race, criminal justice, and inequality. Love is also an instructor at the Rutgers School of Communication, because of course he is, where he trains students in a social justice journalism lab. Didn't I just tell you about what's going on at the New York Times? Uh, in addition to his journalism career, Love has worked for as an advocate and leader in the nonprofit sector, served as a legislative aide and as a law clerk to two federal judges. Oh, can you only imagine the quality of decisions to come out of those places? He holds a BA in East Asian Studies, huh? From Harvard, and a JD from the University of Pennsylvania Law School. He also completed the joint program in international human rights law at the University of Oxford. <laughs> Someone clearly educated beyond their intelligence. No, actually, the more education you get, the more you learn how to lie to people, how to fool people, how to con people, because that's what benefits the left. So you end up with something like this, for example. And, of course, it's all taxpayer subsidy. This guy's life is probably Rutgers, I'm sure, is getting a bunch of money. But then you get uh, the result of his work, his lifelong work, is something like this. NPR. 
your tax dollars. Parents raise concerns as Florida bans gender-affirming care for trans kids. Parents raise concerns. Just terrible. Florida has banned gender-affirming care for trans kids, sparking objections from medical professionals and patients' families. Now families have to decide whether to move states or stop their kids' treatment. Now, what were we told about 20 minutes ago about this trans issue with little kids? We were told that nobody is transitioning children. There's nothing, none of that going on. It's a lie. It's a dirty, damn dirty lie. Nobody's performing surgery. Nobody's cutting anything off of. Nobody's doing nothing to these kids. And yet Florida says, all right, well, then it doesn't matter if we ban this, right? Because if nobody's doing it. If nobody would dare do it, if nobody would touch this idea, that is disgusted by even the concept of it, you don't really have to worry about banning it, right? It's like I've introduced a bill to ban the slaughter of unicorns. All right. Unicorns don't exist. You can just laugh at me and say, all right, well, unicorns don't exist, but okay, you go do your thing. But instead you stand up and give a powerful lecture about how important it is that unicorns be protected you should not if if i own a unicorn you should be able to slaughter that unicorn damn it who the hell do you think you are that sort of mentality well unicorns don't exist butchering of you know 13 year olds removing body parts from 13 year olds doesn't exist right then it doesn't matter if we ban it they can't make up their mind well they they know what the truth is they don't want you to know what the truth is So instead, you get NPR, your tax dollars. When 13-year-old Liz Bostock thinks back, she remembers feeling in between genders as early as preschool. What the hell is in between genders? Assigned male at birth. She identifies as non-binary. She identified as non-binary by fifth grade and decided to use they-them pronouns. Now a seventh grader in Gainesville, Florida, with a passion for manga and anime video games. And a bedroom filled with stuffed animals, Liz identifies as female and transgender. And both? Can you be both? Quote, I figured out that I actually felt like a girl, she says. Not just in between. Now there she is. There's a picture of this person with the mom. The mom, yeah, in on it. Liz's birth certificate now bears her new legal name and gender marker. After months of counseling with a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, Liz started receiving puberty blockers last August. Every three months, she gets a shot of Lupron, a God knows what releasing hormone or GRH, uh, GNRH, that essentially uh, presses the pause button on male puberty, presses the pause button. It's a stop button. It doesn't, you can't unpress it. It's not like your old DVD player where you go, pause, I'm going to run and get some popcorn. You come back and you pick up right where you left off. You're altering your body forever. The resentment that these people are going to feel towards themselves, towards these authorities, towards their parents is going to be real. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be justified and worse. But we're told this doesn't happen. Right, So banning it doesn't matter. But the question is, what, are they going to have to leave the state now? Are they going to have to? Yeah. If you want to butcher your children, 
you're going to have to move to a blue state. Oh, but that's not right. Yeah, well, sorry. Tough. Am I supposed to care that you want to butcher your children and that a governor of a state or governors of many states have made it wildly inconvenient to do so? I'm not going to care. I'm never going to care. What about the children? You know, they're gonna, they have a higher propensity for, for suicide and self-harm. Yeah, maybe. I don't know that I necessarily believe those statistics, but I'll tell you what. Those sorts of things come about because of mental illness. Things that need counseling. If you do nothing during puberty, if you instead embrace every wild insecurity that crosses a kid's mind and every delusion that crosses a kid's mind rather than say, hey, you know, stop it, act up, whatever. Get them in line. Because most kids, every kid has some weird thoughts or whatever. And you do stupid things when you're a teenager and when you're going through puberty, particularly to impress somebody of the opposite sex. If that's what you do and you just let it happen or you embrace it and you say, no, 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 not only that what you feel, but worse, more what you feel. Guess what's going to happen? People are going to go further down the delusional road. You get to feel like, wow, you're the bell of the ball in the neighborhood picnic because you've got a transgender kid and that's all the rage right now. And you live in fear that your child's going to commit suicide and I don't want anybody to commit suicide. But if somebody using the wrong pronouns against your child is going to push them over the edge, they should be institutionalized. They should be at least in counseling because it's going to have something is going to set them off. You should care more about their real mental well-being and dealing with reality rather than fighting to the nail to make sure that everybody uses the proper quote-unquote pronouns or whatever it is. Because the pronoun thing, I'm not going to play that. If, if your existence depends on my embracing your delusions, sorry, I'm not playing that game. And that brings us to this lib teacher. It's another one of these uh, internet videos that they post on TikTok of themselves. I want to play this for you because she admits, and it's a, it's a woman-ish, a bunch of piercings and just, they always look exactly like you'd expect them to look. But she is complaining that her employer is meanie bumbalinis, that they will... They allow people to misgender her to the point that she's scared to. Not misgender, mispronoun her. Listen to this garbage. So when I worked at a place, um, I was just now coming into my gender identity. And so I was telling employees that I worked with whenever they misgendered me. I was correcting them. It took me a long time to get to that place because I am not a person that enjoys conflict, so I would just let people misgender and walk all over me all day, every day. But my support system, and especially my wife, encouraged me, and I finally got to a place where I felt comfortable correcting people. Kindly. I was not ever trying to offend anyone. Anyway, basically, they reported me to HR, and HR told me verbatim, unfortunately I didn't record it, that I could not police how people were speaking about me, that I couldn't tell them how to talk about me. Because apparently requesting appropriate pronouns for me is policing how people speak. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I've also had a lot of cisgender people push back on me whenever I do correct them mid-sentence and assume that I'm jumping down their throat and they jump on the defensive real quick, real quick. And it's literally just me saying, they, them. And they'll go, what? And I'll say, they. They said that. 
That's it. That's the whole correction. That's not a correction. You do not. That's not how the world works. Okay. Can we just be honest about? Oh, she admits it right there. Well, I'm not allowed. Apparently, telling people how to talk about me when I'm not there is policing speech. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. That's what this chick is trying to do. Because when you speak to somebody, when do you refer to them in the, in a third person? Hey, Billy, how is he doing today? No, you say, how are you doing today? Nobody's, nobody's saying, don't call me you. I'm, I don't identify as a you. Now that it's out there in the ether, some idiot leftist will go, I demand to, to be referred to in the second person. No more. That is wrong. Don't refer to me as you. Refer to me as they, them, or ZZ, or whatever. At which point you should have nothing to do. Anybody who has their their uh, pronouns listed in their uh, bio anywhere online, don't hire them. Don't befriend them. Don't talk to them. They're not worth it. But what they're ultimately trying to do is what this chick is saying. They said I was trying to police how people talk about me. Because you are. That's what you're doing. That's the whole point of this crap. But she's very, very upset. She continues. Anyway, HR would not tell me who it was. And so they respected that person's request for anonymity. I assume because they thought that I would come at them some kind of aggressive way, even though I'm the biggest pacifist when it comes to these kinds of interactions. Anyway, I sobbed that entire day at work. I sobbed the whole first hour. The way HR handled it was not appropriate. I felt like my requests for gender was dismissed. I felt disrespected. I felt like I couldn't even walk in the room with my employees, or my fellow employees, and not feel like everyone was staring at me because I didn't know who it was. It destroyed me when it comes to workplace and enforcing my gender. So I don't do it anymore at all, out of fear that HR will take side with cisgendered people as opposed to me. So respecting a person's anonymity when they reported something in this scenario made me feel isolated, attacked, targeted, made me feel like I was no longer part of the team. Good. Oh, that's how I mean. Good. I don't, I don't care. Oh, no, I couldn't go in there. They were allowing them to misgender me. No, no, no. Everybody's not going to bow to your delusion. All right, lady? I don't care what you want to be referred to. I don't care how you live your life. You want me to enter your delusion? I'm going to pass. And if you're sitting there going, I sobbed all day, that's a pretty good indication that you're mentally unstable and probably need professional help. Not that you've been wronged somehow, but that you sobbed all day long over not being able to control how your coworkers talk about you. Forgive me if I don't care. I mean that in the nicest possible way, which is in a not nice way, not even remotely. Uh, By the way, before we run out of time, I do want to play this. It is the uh, 43rd anniversary of, dare I say, the greatest moment in sports. The greatest moment in sports. It's kind of sad that the NHL wasn't really able to sort of capitalize on this and become more popular in this country but it just wasn't the tv back then back in the day before hd tv really even before 27 inch tvs became sort of commonplace before people don't remember the tube tv kids today don't remember the tube tv but the uh 
The 27 inch was like the pin. It was a standard. It became the standard near the end of the tube TV thing. I worked at Best Buy the first, one of the first years they were in Michigan. I was in the TV department and I slung many, many, we used to stack them up top. Huge. Lifting a 36 inch TV and stacking them four high up on top of the other. That was such a pain in the butt. They don't do that anymore because the TVs don't exist anymore. They can't really stack these boxes that they come in because they're thin. But I used to go in the back of the Best Buy in the storage area. It's not really the, called it the warehouse, but it wasn't the warehouse. And aside from defecating into boxes, which is a story I told already and I won't tell again right now anyway, I would climb up to the top of the TVs, which you're looking at, I don't know, 30 feet, maybe a little more on the big TV end. And you could take a nap up there. You set a little alarm or you have somebody yell for you and you can take no, no security cameras are looking at the top of the stack of TVs. You'd be left alone. It was a glorious, glorious time. But um, a 27-inch TV made hockey watchable, sort of, more so. If you didn't know hockey, I played hockey. I could follow it. I Hell, growing up, tell you where I grew up or how I grew up. I had my bedroom TV. And, oh, you had a TV in your bedroom. Yes, I did. Now, before you start calling me a Rockefeller, I had a TV that was 13 inches and black and white. So it's not exactly going to blow the, the the doors down about awesome. But I could follow the TV. I'd watch the CBC on Channel 9, UHF only, and you could watch it. As TVs got bigger, hockey became better and easier to follow. Now in HD, you can follow hockey. But hockey's moment in the sun has long since passed, and I don't know how you get it back. It's long since passed because it was 43 years ago that hockey's greatest moment occurred. Now, you could say Wayne Gretzky scoring more goals than Gordie Howe getting his 892nd goal or whatever, whatever it was. Having more, Wayne Gretzky's career is absolutely amazing. He has more assists than any other player has total points, meaning goals and assists. Even Ovechkin, who's passed Gordie Howe now with a number of goals, doesn't have nearly as many total points as as Wayne Gretzky does have assists. It's insane. One year, Wayne Gretzky scored 92 goals in an 80-game season. He had something like 212 points in a 90-game. He was involved in 212 goals in an 80-game season. It's Nobody's dominated anything like that. But again, it was in the era of standard, deaf, black-and-white, over-the-air TV. But that doesn't mean we can't remember the miracle on ice, which for my money is the greatest moment in sports. As the Giants win the pennant, the shot heard around the world, there down goes Frazier, there are other things. But as far as what it meant to the nation, nothing comes close to the miracle on ice. As such, I want to play you the last minute of Al Michaels' call, the play-by-play. Now, the names you're not, maybe you recognize some of the names, but if you watch the video, I recommend you find it. The Russians were pressing hard. The Russians were pressing hard. And what's amazing is the U.S. team was, the Russians were professionals because they wouldn't allow anybody to leave the Soviet Union, so they got the best of the best. It was either that or you get a crummy job with the government. So if you were good at hockey, you you embraced that. You got treated a little bit better. You got an extra slice of bread per week or whatever.
But they had been so dominant, including against the U.S. team where they beat them like 8-1 to one or something like that just a couple of weeks earlier in an exhibition game. They were so dominant at the time in hockey that one thing that helped the U.S. was that the Russians never pulled their goalie. If you don't know about hockey, you got five skaters and a goalie per side. You can have six players per side out there. You can pull your goalie and then have a sixth attacker, a sixth skater. People, teams do that all the time. A lot of times they score in the last minute as they have an extra person out there. They control the puck in the other end and can score. The Russians never pulled their goalie. They never pulled their goalie because they'd never been in that position. They'd been so long since they'd been in that position, down by one goal and desperately needing a goal as time runs out. It'd been so long since they'd been in that position that they it didn't occur to them to pull the goalie. That was how rare this was. So with that in mind, college kids, not professionals, beating the greatest probably hockey program that ever existed was in fact the miracle on ice. And then to have Al Michaels make this call is, uh, is, is it, it was just the perfect moment. And it was a time when the country needed it. Iranians were holding Americans hostage. The country was in recession. Jimmy Carter was president. It was just a disaster all around. This made everybody feel good. Back when, you know, we weren't hyphenated Americans. We were Americans. Then Democrats saw it and said, we must destroy that. Anyway, here's the last minute of the miracle on ice. Now Petrov controls. Back to Parlamov. Skating in on the left side. Into the American end. 55 seconds. But Mikhailov has the puck. Mikhailov sweeping in. Out in front. Backhander goes wide. And then Craig might have got just a piece of it. Mikhailov. Back out to Billy Legendov. 43 seconds remaining. Morrow. Checked into the boards. It comes back to center ice. 38. 37 seconds left in the game. Petrov with it. The Americans on top. 4 to 3. Long shot. Craig able to get a piece of it to sweep it away. 28 seconds. The crowd going insane. Carlemont shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. The Yelechinov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Silk. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in If you didn't get goosebumps from that, I don't want to know you. If you're not, if you either got goosebumps or welled up a little bit, I don't, if you didn't do that, I don't want to know you. There's something wrong with you, something fundamentally wrong with you. I'm not a rah-rah kind of guy. I am not a, uh, I had something to do with that or I'm going to go cheer in the streets or whatever, but there's something about that moment. And it's, you know, I understand the history of that moment. I understand the history of the hockey at, the, at that time. So it, if that, isn't the greatest moment in sports. If that doesn't impact you at all, forget it. You don't even have to care about sports. Knowing at the time, the Soviet Union versus the Americans, the best that the Soviet system could produce versus a bunch of college kids brought together by a coach who he deliberately made hate them because they needed something to unify them because they had played against each other in college. If you don't understand all of that, watch that movie Miracle. It's the same sort of thing. It, it gives you that feeling, and it, give, it does a great job of, of 
crystallizing. But that is by far and easily the greatest moment in sports, uh, hands down, without question, 43 years ago today. In the uh, little bit of time we have left, I want to play you this clip from Bernie Sanders. He's out pushing a book on capitalism about how it's okay to be mad at capitalism. You just sit there and you go, what the hell? But, of course, that's Bernie Sanders. He's selling the book. He's selling the book. And he was on The View because this is how the left works. They don't point out hypocrisy of their own. The book is called It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism. And for $22.40, you can get a book from Amazon delivered directly to you. Right now it is it's number six in books, which means it's selling several thousand copies a day. Several, maybe tens of thousands of copies a day, just depending on it. And he will reap the benefits. This is how Bernie Sanders was able to afford three houses. But uh, listen to this exchange on The View. Just It speaks for itself. Okay, we're going to plug your book, but it's okay to be angry about capitalism. But they're going to start screaming that you're a socialist, which you are, when they see, when they <laughs> see this title. All right, but let's be clear and understand. <laughs> what the book is about is about the massive levels of inequality in this country. And it's also not just a critique. It's a, what I think is a sensible path forward. And saying that in the richest country in the history of the world, you know what? Not only should health care be a human right, but all of our people should have a right to higher education yes. without going deeply into debt. Yes. Right. You know? It's just a right. Not only should health care be a human right. Well, how do you, what business do you have charging for a human right? Well, okay. Well, then you're making people who provide that service, because it's a service, not a right who provide that service, you're making them slaves. No, not slaves. Don't say slaves. The government. The government will pay them. Government will pay them. So they're, what, at best indentured servants to the government? Now you're going to add in education? Now if government is okay to give you rights, government can take them away, right? I mean, what, what justification do you have for government not being able to take away rights? Rights flow from government. All of these things. Bernie Sanders' philosophy doesn't stand up to the smell test. Neither does he, by the way. But it is amazing, Joy. They're going to call you a socialist because you are a socialist. Yeah, he calls himself a socialist, you idiot. Uh, but he's not, selling, he's not giving away that book. Bernie Sanders has made multiples of millions of dollars. Now, he's not made Joe Biden money. He's probably only made, he's scraping by on about $10 million. And he will get another couple of million dollars from this. He's scraping by with only one beach house. I guess Joe only has one beach house and two other mansions. Bernie's got three mansions. One is on an island. Man, being anti-capitalist pays. I'm in the wrong racket. I hate capitalism. Please send me some money. Is that how it works? Pay me to tell you the evils of paying people to do things. I will gladly give you a 45-minute speech on those evils if you meet my price. Sick. Anyway, that's enough for today. I appreciate you listening. Have a, a great one. We do believe in miracles still. Happy anniversary, Miracle on Ice. I'll see you tomorrow.